Colossians part 11, I think it's part 11, that's the 11th preach so far, working our way through the book of Colossians on Sunday mornings. Um, I had some fun in the week, uh, Jean and I went over to uh, Durham, Emmanuel Church, Durham, and uh, I, I was preaching there, and Matt Maud came and he, he drove us over, which was great, and uh, I, I, rather than prepare something else, I finished up preaching last week's sermon uh, with, at Emmanuel Church. I'd tweaked it a bit. We just had such fun. It was great. And uh, there's a sense of everywhere I go, there's that sense of people hungry for the now of God. That, that sense of, yeah, we're up for it, God. It's just, I've never known a time like this. I've just never known it. And it's, it's glorious. It's, it's glorious. And I, I, I just, I, I feel... So, there's such a responsibility, really, just to keep declaring it and say, come on, it's there for us. You know, God is just the same. God is just the same. But when he said to me a few few weeks ago, um, sorry, I'm, I'll get to my sermon, but when he said to me a few weeks ago, he, he just said, you know, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever, and I'm the same as I was, same God who was with the Apostle Paul, and I'm the, I'm the same God who was with Wesley and Whitfield, and I'm the same God who was with William Booth. I'm, I'm the same God, and I'm with you. What do you want? I really, I just felt that moment when he said that, I thought, I want revival in our nation. I want to see Teesside transformed. And I just felt God say, okay then. Okay. It's not too hard for God. And, and, and I just feel we're on the edge of that. We're stepping into that. Like we've, I've never seen and I've never known. Anyway, back to uh, Colossians part 11. Today we're going to focus on uh, verses 18 to uh, of chapter 3 through to the first verse of chapter 4. But what I want to do is read the whole of chapter 3 to give context. Is that all right? It'll be on the screen, I think. Um, so, Colossians chapter 3. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what belongs, whatever belongs to the, your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. This is like getting out the bath. It's like stop lying in the way we used to be. You must rid yourself of all... Uh, such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of God dwell, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. 
And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they, may, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, working for the Lord, as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. There is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Okay, long reading, but just gives you the whole flow and, and puts the verses I'm about to speak in that context. As usual, I've given myself uh, three points to hang my comments on. They are godly attitude, godly order, and godly behavior. Before I actually get to my first point, though, I, I want to give an overview of what we've covered so far in Colossians, because it's vital all the time when you read scripture that you see the whole picture of what Paul is talking about here. If we're not careful, as we break up Paul's letters to be able to see, do them week by week, we, we easily give wrong emphasis to certain scriptures because we make that the focus when something else is. And that doesn't just apply to Paul's letters, that applies to the whole of scripture. You must handle it well and always read it in context and listen to the whole text. In chapter 1, Paul talks of how he's praying for this young church. He's so delighted to hear about this church. He's praying in prison for them. And he goes on like that. And then, then uh, from verse 15 of chapter 1, uh, he, he turns his focus to Jesus. And he starts exalting Jesus. Uh, his deity, his victory over sin and death, who he is, what he's done. And he talks about our position in Jesus. And he does that for quite a while. And then from verse 16 of chapter 2, Paul begins to bring some application. So then, therefore, because this is true, I call it, it's teaching the church to live as who they are in Christ. As I said last week, once we believe on Jesus and are born again, we become a new creation. We are hidden in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that the old has gone, the new has come. That's the truth of who we are. So this letter is saying to everyone who's become a new creation, everyone who is in Christ, now a child of God, this then is how to live as the new you. Little children have to learn how to live as they grow up, so we as children of God need to learn how to live as his children. Our learning to live in our new identity is actually essential if we're going to fulfill God's purpose for his church and our part in it. That's why there's a call to arms. And the call to arms isn't just a call to militancy. It isn't just a call to availability and service. It's a call to discipleship. It's a call to diligence. It's a call to, to learning to live as a child of God and applying truth into our own lives. And so at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul encourages us to put off things that belong to the earthly nature. The old is gone. Put it off. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed. He says we're to rid ourselves 
That means take responsibility. I can't help myself. Yes, you can. Take responsibility. Get rid of anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language and lying. Get rid of it. Don't give it place in your life. That's what it means to be a child of God. It, we're not earning salvation that way. Do understand that. We're not, we're not earning something from God. He says, no, I've made you brand new. And this is what the brand new you needs to be free from. Because you don't need that stuff anymore. I have set you free from all of that. There is a new life for you. So take responsibility. Get out the bath, as it were. Get rid of these things. And then as we saw last week in verses 18 to 20 of chapter 3, Paul then encourages us. You get rid of those things. Now he says, clothe yourselves with the character of Christ. Again, take responsibility. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness and love. We oh, that's easy. No, it's not easy. (laughs) But again, because we are a new creation... Because the old has gone, the new has come. We open ourselves up to God and we say, fill me, Lord, fill me, Lord. And then we, we, we take responsibility, we cooperate with them. We say, God, give me your heart of compassion for this lost and dying world. Give, give me, help me see as you see. Help me feel what you feel. I, I thought, Shelley, what you shared about saying, I was just so cross when I saw this person. Just like so cross. That, that's something that God gives. Because we could walk past and say, that's a shame. But when the compassion of Christ, the love for people starts to get in your heart, you, get, you become indignant. You think, that's not right. I need to step in here. It motivates us. It's the compassion of Jesus. Clothe ourselves with his compassion. With his kindness. With humility. Gentleness. I don't want to preach all of last sermons again, but these sermons again, but this is so important. Patience, forgiveness, and love. And then from verse 18 to verse 1 of the next chapter, Paul goes on and is talking about our attitude, about the way we behave to and with one another, and he covers all the bases, as it were. So my first point, taking a while to get there, but here's my first point, a godly attitude. Anybody here ever struggle with a bad attitude? Anybody still struggling with a bad attitude? How easy it is. You know when you just in you just know. You just know you're a pain to everybody else. You just know. And you quite enjoy being a pain to everybody else. You know that moment when you think, tough. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Do, do you know that stuff? I've been in church leadership so long and Tell you what, people with a bad attitude are so difficult to deal with. Because they want to be in control. What what they say is, you need to care for me. Really? Well, I do. Well, you're not doing it enough. So the attitude is not one of thankfulness, it's one of demanding. Okay? Demanding. I want more from you. That's a bad attitude. A bad attitude doesn't appreciate what you get, it always wants more. That sound familiar? You know, you can have a new car, you want a better one. You get a, a better a better place to live and then you think, oh, I'd rather have that. Just all of that thing. We, we're just not thankful. That's why I said one of the big my points last week was be thankful. Be grateful. Be a people who so appreciate what you are given. 
I was deeply humbled last night. Um, I was sitting with my computer on my lap, which I do sometimes playing the odd game or stupid things like that. And um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, it popped a message from a, a friend of mine in Bedford, uh, Felipe, who's a Peruvian guy, most incredible musician and got a real relationship with him and he didn't speak English and we, we brought him onto staff, we taught him English, all that sort of stuff. Anyway, I just heard the day before his wife's been diagnosed with breast cancer and uh, Patty's in her 40s and um, somebody said to me, sent me a message and then I, he, he pops up on the screen and he just said, uh, please can you pray for Patty and, he, and then he started chatting a bit and so I said, are, 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 is everybody looking after you well? He said, oh, they're wonderful. It's great to have brothers and sisters. But he says, I do miss my dad. Talking about me. And I thought, oh, God. <laughs> oh. And, and he said, I just need to hear from my dad. So I chatted a bit. I've already said, I'm going to phone him next week. There's something about compassion. Something about love. There's something about caring. People don't demand things, but we are there for one another at those times. Do you know what I mean? We will never meet everybody's expectation all the time. We just won't, and I can't. But here's a guy who is utterly grateful. I took him to Turkey on a mission trip. Here's a guy who is utterly grateful for that which I did give him. You know, and I didn't feel I gave him much. But he's so grateful. Attitude is about thankfulness. The right attitude is one of saying thank you so much. Thank you that you took your time to bother. Thank you that you just inputted a little bit. Be thankful. Be grateful. So so important. I would suggest that one of the biggest hindrances to our growth and enjoyment of life as a child of God is a bad attitude. Bad attitude will always hinder our effective witness to others. The bad attitude will usually make us the most miserable of people. Bad attitude will stop us receiving help and correction in our walk with God. Bad attitude always wants to blame others rather than ourselves. Bad attitude resents correction rather than welcoming it. A bad attitude will affect every area of our lives. So the Apostle Paul then goes on and touches on the basic areas of life. Wives to husbands, husbands to wives, children to parents, parents to children, slaves to masters. Now in this, the world, this is the world Paul lived in. Paul's not saying that slavery is a good thing. He's saying that, it's, it, that our attitude matters whatever the circumstances we find ourselves in. In our culture, it would be employees to employer, employer to employee. In the different areas of life we find ourselves, our attitude is vital, absolutely vital as children of God. As men and women of God, it matters. Paul speaks about our attitude in Philippians 2, 1 to 8, which I'm going to read to you. He says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being, what, like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. This is all about our relationship together as Christians. Our relationship together as Christians. And that goes cross-culturally, that goes within our cultures. It's all about relationship. 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So let's quickly go through these areas that Paul touches on. Because they're often touchy issues. In fact, I guarantee, as I've started talking about these things, some people have gone, in your heart. Just, anybody gone, Ugh. yeah? It's just a bit challenged. Oh, Raj has good. It's good to lead the way. <laughs> just, oh. He's probably going to speak about something to do with me. Oh, you, I assure you, talking about me too. Let's go to my second point then. God, godly order. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. This, this verse, so often we start there, take this little bit and say, this is how you're to behave. And it just provokes a response, doesn't it? It's like, Whoo! just gets all the... Any ladies just found that, you know? I've, I've heard people say, Paul's just a chauvinist pig. Do you, you ever heard that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, he's not. Because you have to read it in the context of the whole. And this is just a little tiny part. The word submit kind of jars, especially in our modern Western culture, but to be honest, I, I very much understand why women struggle with this when I talk to some husbands. <laughs> just think, my goodness. You know, you might struggle, girl, but I think you're a saint. I just, that's how it often is. You see, Paul here is not talking about women submitting to guys who are idiots, who treat them badly. He's not saying that. He's saying, look, there's a godly order in things where men are supposed to take responsibility and care properly for their wives. This is not in any way making women second class. This is all about being fulfilled and playing our unique part. Paul's comments here are all about our attitude. So Paul then goes on to say to husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Love them, honor them, serve them, bless them, care for them, release them to fly as who they are with their unique gifting. That's good, isn't it? That should be encouraging for women. A bit responsible for men, but come on. Ephesians 5, he says it here. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of, one, of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but Paul says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. It's about relationship. It's about flow. It's about 
in Christ, this is who I am. I, I, I am, I gladly submit, I gladly respect when there's something to respect. I play my part. Marriage is about togetherness. The things, the thing that will make marriage work is all about our attitude to one another. Really is, it's the number one thing. The thing that will make church life work and be a, a good, happy church or a sad church is our relationship, our attitude to one another. Do you have any bad attitude in your heart to anybody in the church? Don't put your hand up. Well, you can if you like. Do you have a bad attitude in your heart to someone in your family? Do you have a bad attitude in your heart to your husband or your wife? Deal with it. This is not fitting for a child of God. This isn't what you were made for. This will destroy your life. It will destroy your marriage. It will destroy relationships. Bad attitudes in the church will destroy a church. Put it to death. Get rid of it. Love one another. Care for one another. Honor one another. It's vital. Tolerate one another. Put up with one another. Cover one another's weaknesses with grace and love. You know, one of the, one of the things, I, I've said it before, perhaps worth saying it again, I've said it to every church I've ever led, the one thing I guarantee I will do as, as your leader is let you down. Not on purpose, but because I'm flawed, because I'm just saved by grace, just like you are. I'm called to what I do. But if you start to get to the point where you think, well, Paul's really let me down. Well, by all means, tell me. But at the end of the day, I, I'm just a child of God. You know, Jesus is the one who doesn't let us down. And, and all the time, what I want to do is keep pointing you to Jesus. I do my best. I want to be a good example. That's what eldership's all about, being a good example to the flock. This is how to live. But you know what? However good we get, we will at times disappoint Anybody been disappointed with leadership over the years? It's okay to be. As long as you don't have the wrong expectation. Our attitude to one another, particularly in marriage, particularly in the church, is so important. So important. I, I just... Just be careful. Don't even speak negatively about people. Don't let negative things come out of your mouth. By all means, deal with issues. By all means, talk to one another. Sort issues out. But just don't gossip negative things. Don't hold bad attitudes in your heart. It will destroy you and it will spoil church. Paul goes on then. He talks about children obeying parents. Again, there's an order here, but you know, in my experience, obedience from children flows when children are loved and cared for. If parents do not have a good attitude to their children, if parents don't love and serve their children, and I really mean serve them, then it's likely that our children will resent us and find obedience hard. The number one thing to do is love our kids. I just saw a, another church leader I know in the he was commenting, he went into the park and there's two little girls, I think his wife was with him, and a child, somebody else's child, a little boy, ran headlong into a big metal post and was bleeding and crying. And the mother went, oh, 
and just carried on smoking and chatting and wouldn't respond to him at all. And this church leader sorted him out and cleaned him up. And he just said, how, how can it be? How can it be when a child is, is, is damaged and hurt and the parents just go, oh yeah, not my problem. That, that, that's what we, we live in a world that sees children as an inconvenience, children as a pain, children as like, oh, we've got to give them a lift again in the car. Do you remember? Because it never stops. Do you remember as teenagers? Never stops. Oh, Lord. But I tell you what, love our children, care for our children, serve our children. Then we make their obedience to us an easy thing, not a hard one. They'll learn to be thankful for us. They'll learn, yeah, they'll have their moments when they kick against things, but they will learn because this is fitting and in order. So often we look at the children and say, come on, sort yourselves out. I turn it around and say, come on, parents, you sort yourselves out. The buck stops with us. Parents to children. So important. Then Paul goes on to talk about those who are employees. That would probably be most, most people who have a job. Not many of you are employers and have businesses. Some do. We're employees. Those who work for other people. How's your attitude to the people who employ you? How's your attitude to your job? How's your attitude to the manager who looks is, is over you? Do you ever struggle with those things? Many people do. It's like... It's a, it's a challenge. You see, the, you see, to work for someone you respect, who makes you feel valuable, someone who is genuine and real, so to work for such a person is a pleasure. It's even a joy because you can talk with them and, and, and they're honest with you and you respect that and, and, and you co- cooperate. But to work for someone who demands stuff, doesn't listen to you, just put raise the bar higher and higher, is not encouraging, that's... that's it's really hard. I've often thought, you know, I should run uh, training courses for managers to teach them how to, to get the best out of people. Because in my experience in the workplace is guys just, people get posi- put in positions of, of management and they've got no clue how to lead and motivate people. They're very insecure usually. So actually what they do is seek to control and make life miserable and, and they've got to keep you subdued. Good management releases people to fly. Again, it, it enables everybody. It, lets, it gets the best out of people. And I just, just think we don't, we don't teach that in the world. We don't, we don't teach that even in the church often. It's so important. If biblical principles could be taught and applied in the workplace, then people would feel valued, productivity would go up, and the working environment would be a joy. I believe that with absolutely every fibre of my being. Now, the problem is none of us are perfect. And often the pressure of employers, those who, who employ other people, the pressures they experience are very great. They're worried where the money's coming from. Are they going to be able to make ends meet? Are they, are they going to be able to deliver things on time? And so they don't always behave well because actually they haven't got time to think about staff. They're just thinking about all the other pressures they're under. And the world we live in demands more and more, so actually more and more pressure. When everybody's under more and more pressure, guess what? Relationships get squashed and squeezed and battered. 
That's what worries me about church sometimes. We make church this thing, we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and we're going to do that, and we're going to do the next thing. Before long, everybody's running around thinking, I can barely keep up. This is supposed to be community and family. This is The church is not a business. The church is here to serve a community and bring the values of joy and peace and hope and living well to a lost and dying world. So we mustn't get caught up with the the rat race, if you like, of of doing, 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 doing. We're here to, to be salt and light in society. The problem is when managers are creating a bad atmosphere, if you like, in the workplace, employees then begin to gripe and complain and stamp their feet and saying it's not say it's not fair and grumble, then that usually just makes things worse, not better. On the other hand, I believe with every fibre of my being that Christian men and women can go into the secular workplace and transform the atmosphere and the culture by living with godly attitudes and behaviour. Believe that. I believe that for every one of us here. Our calling is not just to go and do a job. Our calling is to be Jesus wherever we go. Okay? So we go into the workplace and we've got a difficult boss. What do we do? We, do we grumble and complain or do we say, oh what, I'm going to seek to serve that person to the best of my ability. I'm going to be encouraging. I'm not going to criticise. I'm going to try and win them over. And you know what? It works. I've been there. I've proved it. Make yourself invaluable. Make yourself a person who can be relied upon. Make yourself a person who's encouraging, not discouraging to those over you. All of these things matter. You say, well, this isn't very spiritual, Paul. Actually, this is incredibly spiritual. Because actually much of the Christian life is not super-duper airy-fairy. It's diligently sought out on the disciplines of life. Attitudes, behavior, the way we talk, the way we speak, the decisions we make. This is incredibly spiritual. It's incredibly spiritual when a a Christian employee goes into a workplace and they're struggling with people who are demanding and abusive and not nice. And we, you know what, a gentle answer turns away wrath. And we bless rather than curse. We encourage when they're criticizing us. We don't take offense. We be like Jesus. That challenge? Of course it's a challenge, but God gives us grace for such things. Brings me to my last point godly behavior. We're called as born again men and women to live out day by day what it means to be a child of God. It's not just living here, it's not just coming to church. I'm a child of God today. I can do this. I can dance, I can... Oh, that's great. What about tomorrow? What about when you're on your own and you don't have your brothers and sisters around you and you're, you're in a, an environment with non-Christians to live out what it means to be a child of God then? We're called to bring healing. We're called to bring forgiveness. We're called to bring love and mercy and grace into every situation of life. Personal life, family life, work life, church life. If you look at church history, which is such fun, but if you look at companies like Cadbury's 
all sorts of companies, there's loads of them all over the country, that were started by Christian businessmen who wanted to change society. Cadbury built a place called Bourneville to house his work people in better facilities. As a Christian, he did it as a blessing. He didn't do it as a profit motive. Now everything's profit. He did it to serve, to bless. Okay? To have an attitude of saying, I want to bless society. We talk about seeing Teesside transformed by the gospel. Teesside will only be transformed by the gospel when we, as the children of God in Teesside, start to live out what it means to be men and women of God. When when we start to, everything we touch, we change with the love of God. Everything we touch, we change with the attitudes and values of the kingdom. I'm not in any way decrying coming to on a Sunday and, and, and for Jesus and glorifying his name. It's, that's glorious and wonderful, but our Christian life is 99.9% worked out elsewhere. And that's what Paul's talking about here. So this is what it means. And I, I wrestled with these things. You know, I grew up in the Salvation Army. I, 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 I knew, I was taught in a very, perhaps legalistic way, you know, you're here, you're saved to serve. You're here to, 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 to go and reach the lost. And I, I'd go and I'd be in the workplace and think, Ah, I don't know what to say, what to do, and they're really nasty to me, and I got cross, and you know all the stuff that's there, and I, how do I handle this? And and then I, I used to find they'd crack dirty jokes, and on the inside I'm thinking that's funny, and on the outside I'm not supposed to laugh. I'm a Christian, and do, do, do you know what I'm talking about? You get all of that, and then you you finish up falling over yourself trying to be something you don't feel you like on the inside, and and I went through all of that, and then one day I understood God's grace. One day the grace of God exploded in my life and I suddenly thought, you know what, I don't have to try and prove I'm something, I am something. I am a child of God. I, it's not like I'm trying to, to prove that I'm good enough to be known as a child of God. I am a child of God. And you know what, even if I do it wrong, I am a child of God. It is my identity. This is who I am. So I can go into the workplace and I can say to God, God, help me, help me make a difference today. And I discovered a few things about dirty jokes. I mean, there's some that are just horrible, but, you know, I, I discovered that it was all right to laugh sometimes because actually it was funny. It's like, you know, I wasn't telling them, just imagine you think, oh my, but you had to laugh. But, but, but then what I'd say is, you know what, guys, that's totally out of order, but it's very funny. But what, what you do, you build a bridge. You build a bridge of credibility. You bring a, a, a bridge of saying, you, you're normal, but, but. And, and so you don't pretend to be something you're not. You start to say, this is how I'm reacting. But you know what? There's something better, guys. There's something better. There's something better. There's something better. And as you do that, as you relax and start to say, I am a child of God. God, use me today. Bit by bit by bit, what happens is you're the person that work, your work colleagues come to when they have a problem. You're the person they come to and they seek you out and say, look, I know you're a Christian and I've got this going on. Can you have a chat with me? And it comes to you. But it comes to you because you've earned the credit, you've become credible, you've become real, you've become accessible. We're not in the workplace to be so holy that nobody can speak to us or get anywhere near us because it, it's like, I don't know what planet you're on, mate, you don't, I don't relate to you. We build bridges with the people we work with. We build bridges of reality and honesty and openness and transparency. But in that is our witness. In that we tell them about Jesus. And you say, you know what, I'm not perfect, but I know a man who is. And so all the time you're pointing people, I am a child of God, but it's because of him. It's because of him. I'm hidden, his good, I'm hidden in his goodness, his greatness, his majesty. I, I, oh, I, I've just got filthy rags, really, but he's washed me clean, and I'm hidden in him who's perfect. 
That's, that's the Christian life. That, that's what it means. And I, I wrestled for years with these things, but began to get there. And to see a work colleague get saved, it's just fantastic. Blown away. I take no credit for it. <laughs> it's just amazing. I, my, my, my friend Graham is still not, not a Christian. I, I, work, I worked with him for, I don't know, nearly 20 years. And he's the best sinner I know. I mean, he could invent ways of sinning that you haven't dreamed of. It was just amazing. The scary thing was he and I were very alike and still are very alike, which means, ooh, that, that's a worry. So, but you know what? I, I've prayed for him. I've been his friend. I'm still his friend. And I, I remember one day he phoned me up. He was drunk. And he started to cry and he said, I don't know what life's about, but he said, I do know this. You have the answer to my need. I said, pardon? <laughs> you know, I've, I've sat with him. I've cried with him. I've loved him. And I still love him. And he's left his wife and he's living with somebody else. And I still love him. And I still care for him. And I, I, I'm still, I said, I'm praying for you, Graham. He was a bit worried about the state of his innards through the day and he went to have a camera strategically placed and that sort of thing. And he told me, and, and I just said, I will pray for you. I said, I hope you get to watch it on the telly. And, because and, you can do, that, by the way. And, and um, I said, but I will pray for you. And he came back and said, thank you so much for praying. And he, he, said, he said, the problem is that I took my camera along. He said, my big nick on, but it couldn't fit it. So they had to use a different one, which is quite funny. I, that, that's just his humor, which I thought was great. He said they found an Olympus one on the end of a long pole, which, which was great. I, I just like Graham's humor. And uh, it's just very funny. But he said, thank you so much for praying for, for me. He's my age. I've known him since I was 19. But you know what? I'm praying for him to be saved. I, I, I just want him to be saved. I, I have the words of eternal life. I know I have for him. You have the words of eternal life for your friends, for your family, for your work colleagues. Whereas you have that. I said, God, I want to behave in such a way that I'm credible. I want to behave in such a way that, that I'm real and transparent and honest. Not trying to pretend, but equally not trying. I want to be godly, but I want to be accessible. Does, does that make sense? You can be so holier than thou, as it were, that nobody can get near you. On the other hand, you can be so ungodly that nobody knows you're a Christian. You've got to find a way of bridging that and reaching people. Sorry, I've got, I went off in one a bit there, but never mind. Um, you see, the problem is we, we often have blind spots. Anybody any blind spots? A blind spot is not a spot. It's, it's a... It, it's you're blind to certain things about yourself. We usually have a higher expectation of others than we have of ourselves. But have you noticed that most problems usually seem to be caused by other people? Have you noticed that? Most, most, people, most of the problems you have in life are caused by somebody else? Have you, have you? How often have you said, oh, I have a problem, it must be me? How, how, how often do you, is that your first response? Rarely. Rarely. It's usually like, it's them again. They said this. They did that. They blah, blah, blah. And we grumble and we gripe. Well, you know what? One of the things that helped me over the years when I was younger 
someone taught me to ask the question in the different situations of life, what would Jesus do right now? In fact, you can buy bracelets with WWJD on, can't you? Have you heard of this? Yeah, okay. I, I discovered what helps me with my blind spot is this. Something going off and I just say, what would Jesus do right now? And you find that what he would do and what you're feeling and what you want to do just don't line up. That's just shown you something about you. Oh, God. That's, that's good, though. That's good. And you know what? Then deny yourself and do the right thing. As you deny yourself and learn to do the right thing, you will change. You will grow. You will become more like Jesus. This is the Christian life. It's all right knowing that what Jesus would do, but then we need to seek to do the same in any situation and every situation to demonstrate the attitude, the love, the grace and the mercy that Jesus would. Is it a challenge? Yes, it is. But he gives us grace for us. God wants to make us like Jesus. We don't have to self-force ourselves to be like Jesus. We can't, but we do have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We do have the grace of God that comes to us that enables us to say yes to God and no to sin. We have the grace of God that comes to us to, to grow our character, to make us more and more like Jesus. It's vital we do. He wants The Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives wants to pr- produce in us the fruit of the character of Jesus. Fruit grows. It doesn't usually come in an instant. It's a growing thing. It becomes, as we mature, we become more and more like him. Gifts are given in an instant. You can have a gift of healing. There you are. Go and heal the sick. The character of Christ, on the other hand, has to be formed in us over a period of time. I'm just about done. The good news is this. What I've talked about today is not just an unattainable wish. It really is possible to live this way. One Peter, sorry, 2 Peter 1.3 says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. He really does give us everything we need for life and for godliness. It's all there for us. It's found in Jesus. So, whatever we do, Work at it with all our hearts as working for the Lord. Not for men, since we know that we will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ we are serving every day, in every situation. Let's just pray for a minute, shall we? Lord, I so thank you for your word. I thank you that it's not just a spiritual exercise. It's not just talks about situations of being saved. It talks about conforming us to the image of Christ. Lord, I thank you so much that you love to pour your Holy Spirit into us. That you love to deal with our hearts and our attitudes and our motives. Thank you, Lord, that you want to want us as the church to be like Jesus in the world the values, the attitudes, the love, the compassion. Thank you, Lord, this isn't just a pipe dream, but it's living reality as children of God. Lord, I thank you for these things. I thank you that everything we need is there for us in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, we're not trying to earn anything. We're not trying to prove anything. 
But it's there. We are children of God. We are born again. This is our identity. And all these things are available to us. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I do pray you will give us grace right now to lay hold of these things for ourselves. Lord, where your word, as I've shared this morning, has brought any conviction of sin or any provocation, Lord, we don't take that as condemnation. We take that as encouragement to... to, to I, I can change because what, what Jesus I, what Jesus can do. I, I can be different. Lord, I pray you'll give us faith just to take some steps forward in our Christian walk. Lord, we want to be... We want to have a godly attitude. We really do. We want to live with godly order in our lives. And we want our behavior to be godly in all of society. Lord, there was a call to arms earlier. Well, here we are, warts and all, little old us. But Lord, I dare to say, we're here for you, Jesus. We're here for you. We're here for your purposes. We're here for your glory. We're here for your honor. Take us at our word, please, and use us in these days. Thank you, Lord. Amen.